Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 117. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us today a gentleman who happens to be only a couple of miles away from me, which is shocking since I've been talking to people on the East Coast a lot, and I'm in Southern California, but that was kind of fun to hear. And this man has had a lot of success and a really interesting journey. I'm so excited to introduce to you guys today, Mr. Marco Santarelli. So welcome to the show, Marco. Thank you, Holly. I'm excited to be on here and share whatever I can with your listeners. Well, I am so excited for you. So why don't you start by giving our listeners your background and your little bit of your journey into real estate investing? Sure. Well, I'll give you a little bit of my journey. I, I've done so many different things and I've been a serial entrepreneur and all that's kind of played into the whole real estate investing thing because the mistakes you make in the past, um, falling down, you know, trying to build a business, doing this or that, you, you apply that to other areas of your life, or at least you should do that because that's how you learn. But for, from a real estate perspective, I actually started when I was 18 years old, when I could qualify for financing, that's when I bought my first rental and it was a fixer. So I acquired this end unit townhome, fixed it up, put a sign on the lawn. There was no internet back then, so it's not like I could advertise online, right? Um, it's basically paper and signs. Put a, a sign on the lawn, I took applications, didn't know what I was doing, to be honest with you, I just kind of went by feel because uh, I didn't take a course. I, you know, you didn't have access to courses like you do today back then. It's information today is free online. But I essentially uh, leased it up, managed it myself. I held it for a number of years. The mistake I learned from that, which I know you probably would want to ask me this at some point in time, but the lesson learned is, is never sell your real estate. You know, you can 1031 exchange it. You can create uh, more equity by leveraging the equity you have. But that's the mistake I made. I had this great cash flowing property. It was paying me every month. Um, and then I, I basically fixed it, held it, and then flipped it. So lesson learned, but fast forward to 2003, 2004, I kicked my real estate investing into high gear. And that's when I acquired 84 doors, 84 units, mostly single families and duplexes in a nine month period. Oh my gosh, my head is gonna explode, that's so much. How in the world, did you have a team or was this just you? Well, no, yes, I guess no in the beginning and then yes, I built the team. Uh, because let me clarify that I, I'm here in Southern California. You know, we, we live very close to each other. I was investing 3000 miles away. I was investing as far South as, as Florida and as far North as Michigan uh, and, and, you know, some other places as well. Thing is, is in order to be able to do that successfully, you have to be working with a team. You have to build a team and trust that team and they need to be able to help you do what you do. So I made my fair share of mistakes in the beginning. I got ripped off. I had all kinds of problems but you know, lesson learned, you build and you learn and grow and build and as you go. So the way I was able to do that from a financing perspective is that if you remember back then, credit was relatively easy to get. I mean, they used to joke that you could fog a mirror and get financing. Yes. Well, that really helped. So the fact that I was able to put properties under contract and come in with very little down, some in some cases, nothing down, uh, really helped to accelerate that process. Uh, and in some cases, I had to just get creative on the contract. You know, I had to get the seller to help 
finance the property because you know you can only have so much investment capital until you need to either find partners or get creative on the real estate. But um, but I was able to do it in, in one year. I was able to acquire 84 units, 84 doors. Wow, that just like blows my mind. And I assume this was a full time pursuit at that point, right? You I went full time. I came out of a dot com crash. Okay. Uh, so I took essentially two years off and I sat back and reflected on what I wanted and what I didn't want. I didn't want to go back into corporate America. I didn't want to do the, uh, you know, the nine to five thing. Right. Uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to be a full-time real estate investor. By the way, I don't advise people to do that or jump in full time. I just came back from, uh, I, I spent the last 10 days with people like Robert Kiyosaki and Peter Schiff and uh, G. Edward Griffin and, you know, a whole bunch of, pretty high profile people. And one of the ladies there decided she wanted to get to real estate full time. And I, and I said, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. She goes, well, I just quit my corporate job. And now I want to, you know, be an investor. I said, do you realize that was a big mistake? <laughs> what she did is she gave up W2 income that would allow her to qualify for financing. So whether she chose to, you know, buy and fix and flip properties or whether she chose to buy and hold or a combination of the two, the problem is she just, kind of hung herself in a way because now she doesn't have the income to show to qualify for financing. So, yeah. you know, people should not do that. I believe Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book. I don't know if it was on his own or with a partner called before you quit your job. And I think it talks about that exact transition. People get so excited to quit, quit their job, cut the ties, but unfortunately it, it can bite them and hurt them if they don't have a, a really nice strategic plan there. Right, so, exactly. So I just have to ask, was that the the cruise with the real estate guys radio you were just on or? Yeah, yeah. Rob and Russ are friends of mine. And so there's, I, I probably know half of the people on, on the ship. So how fun. I've yeah. heard about that. Maybe I'll have to go on that one next year. It sounds super fun. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I don't know what's more fun, the vacation part being on the cruise or being around all the smart, nerdy real estate people that I relate to. <laughs> My <All> people. <laughs> it's all fun. It's all fun. Cool. Well, okay. Now I'm going to ask you a question related to that. I didn't know we were going this direction, but what were some of your best takeaways or things you learned from being on that trip? with a whole bunch of other real estate investors. Are you going to make any changes in your plans or moving forward based on anything you learned or heard, or did it just confirm everything you're doing? Like, wow, I'm on the right path. This is great. I think if, if it reinforced a lot of things that I already know, like, like the, the importance of education, uh, not, not public school education. I mean like financial education, right? Uh, that is critically important and you should always be a student and, and Kiyosaki is this way too. Like he, as smart as he is and as successful as he is, he continues to write notes and, and listen to what other people have to say and learn from other people. So be a perpetual student. It's one of my, it's actually my number one rule is, is to educate yourself, but you, you, you never stop doing that. It is possible to create infinite returns in real estate if you know what you're doing. So that was kind of another takeaway, the importance of having the right team. You can never do what he does or you cannot reach a high level of success without actually having the right team surrounding you, your CPA, your attorney, the people that acquire or find the deals for you, whether they're real estate agents, wholesalers, turnkey providers, whatever it may be. So all these things are so important. Um, also the fact, you know, we talked about 
you know, why savers are losers, <laughs> in, you know, in the sense that you're losing money when you save. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, but essentially if you're saving money for the sake of saving, you're actually losing money because inflation's eating away at the purchasing power of the dollars you're putting away. So the best thing to do, and this is what we tell our, our, our customers, our clients all the time, is deploy those funds as quickly as you can. Save a lot, save fast, save as much as you can to create down payments to, to acquire uh, the next property and the next property. So the faster you deploy, the better off you're going to be. And, you know, probably a big takeaway is the number one reason that a lot of people don't become successful or don't become rich or they don't become wealthy is because they're afraid of making mistakes. And you can't move forward if you carry that baggage, that fear of being able to, of, of making mistakes. Because the fact is, is you will make mistakes but you need to get up and learn from those mistakes and you can minimize the impact of those mistakes if you have the right team of advisors around you. So those are, you know, some of the things we talked about, some of the things, you know, that I would say are takeaways, if you will. Very cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah. And for our listeners, if you don't know, we're talking about Real Estate Guys radio show. I know you can find their podcast and I think they're actually broadcast maybe on AM radio. I don't know about that. I've heard their podcast and you can Google them and find out about their annual cruise where you can go and hang out with all of the, I, can, I know I shouldn't call us real estate nerds, but all the real estate nerds and the people that are super <laughs> into all that and um, find, find the people who are like-minded. Okay, well, thank you for letting us go on that little tangent. That was great. Can you give us um, kind of an example or case study of your best real estate deal you ever did? Best one. Oh man. It's re really hard to say what the best one is because it's, it comes down to defining what best really means because I, I have done deals where I put nothing down. In fact, I would get cash back at closing. That's, that's much harder to do today than it was in the past. Right. Right. Uh, so you could say that's, that's the best deal. Um, there were deals that, um, you know, I, I was, I was making, you know, 20% plus cash on cash return for a, sh for a short period of time. So that would be a good deal. I would say I, I maybe one of the ones that I would say is one of the best deals is I purchased a small apartment building. It was a 19 unit complex with nothing down. And the way I did that is I was able to negotiate a price that was at a discount from what it would appraise for. And then I had the seller increase the purchase price on the sale of that property and sell it back to me at a much higher price, knowing that it would appraise. I still needed the cash at close to come down with a down payment. But what he did is he built in a, um, I, I can't remember the legal de definition of what it was. It wasn't cash back. It was essentially a repair and maintenance credit or oh, rebate at, okay. at, on, on the close, which essentially made up the down payment uh, that I had Put up on the front end so we were able to increase the purchase price enough to cover my down payment and he gave it back to me in the form of, of a credit and so uh so that ultimately became a nothing down deal and um you probably can still do something like that today but there are caps or limitations like six percent seems to be about the cap as, as far as what you can get back at close so short of having an agreement outside of the close which i'm not advocating or saying is, is right or legal um you know that's how you would have to do it um, so that was probably one of the quote unquote best deals that I did. Do you have, um, do you happen to remember when you did it and what the purchase price was? Any details like that? That was in 2004. 
Okay. Um, the purchase price was, I want, I want to say it was just under 400000 Okay. Just to give people an idea of um, kind of what the deal was like. So 17 units for 400000 Not a typical Southern California um, no. set of numbers, that's for sure. No, so exactly. I was just going to say, yeah, if you're in an expensive market, like the coastal markets of the United States, Southern California, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a condominium, right? That's a condo. If you look at the Midwest, if you look at a lot of the tertiary markets, like the smaller markets that are like sub-markets of the major metropolitan areas, you can find properties. And I'm not saying that to go and buy these. Like we don't sell these here, you know, in our company. On a, on a per unit basis or a, as a single family home, you could buy properties out there that are thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. I've purchased them. I've had my fair share of problems with, with them. There's, there's the good and the bad. In fact, I would say there are more problems with those types of properties than there are good. The one thing they do have is a good cash on cash return on the front end. So, you know, the cap rate looks high and that's why investors mistakenly get married to those properties because they have a high cap rate. They have a high cash on cash return, but there are a lot of problems on, on the other end of that deal. So that's the, that's the problem. But the point I'm trying to make is that with such a low cost per door, whether it's a single family, you know, a duplex, a fourplex or a 20 unit apartment, it, they just are very inexpensive. They're very cheap and cheap has its fair share of problems, but comparing it to the coastal markets in California, it's like, are you serious? You can buy property for that, for that small amount. Yeah. In my town of Dana point, I don't even know if you can get a condo for 400,000 anymore. I mean, 500,000 is pretty much what a condo is just for people that are curious about what the costs are out here. Well, I'd love if you would go down, maybe you could share a little bit more on one of those inexpensive house deal purchases, if you can reflect back and say what the problems are. Because I know it sounds really exciting to someone from Southern California. What? I can buy a house for $50,000. I can pay cash for that. Like they, a lot of people that couldn't pay cash for something here, like a $500,000 condo, think a 50000 house is a bargain. But what are the potential pitfalls and problems with a house like that? And what would be like maybe the uh, monthly rent that you would expect on something like that in the Midwest? Or you can go from experience if you had a deal that you can remember. Well, the reason many of the investors, especially from California, are buying them all cash is because you don't have a choice. When you have a 40000 50000 even a $60,000 property, you can't, it's really hard to finance it. First of all, lenders don't want to provide a loan that small. So they don't want to do those small loans. So it's hard to find. We do have lenders that will, but they're not common. Second, there's a not a, there, there are not a lot of sales comps for a forty dollars or $50,000 home. They're typically in areas that are predominantly renter, uh, renter occupied, like they're rentals, right. Right. meaning that they're not a lot of retail sales. So if there's not a lot of retail sales, you don't have the comps to support an appraisal to support the lender that is looking at financing that deal for you. So that's a big issue when it comes to rental properties that are in that price range. Anecdotally speaking, the other problem is, call it what you want, but the, you know, the tenant class or the demographic of tenants that you have at that price point are often low, very low income, uh, more transient. They tend to uh, miss their rent or skip rents or be laid on rent. Uh, this is just more of an observation, but you could talk to property management companies that manage that type of property or that product and they can give you more insight, but this has just been my experience and the experience of other investors that we work with. What is attractive about those types of properties is that they have a high rent to price or rent to value ratio. 
So the example I use all the time is a $100,000 property, which is, you know, probably a B-class neighborhood in most of the markets that we're in, mm-hmm. will rent for about 1000 a month. That's a 1% rent to price or rent to value ratio. You look at where you and I live here, that $800,000 home under that same ratio should rent for about 8000 a month. But the reality is, is it only rents for about 0.4% or 0.5% of that number, meaning that it's, it's renting for three to 4000 a month. That's not going to work from a rate of return perspective. When you look at the $50,000 property, the $40,000 properties, those, those little homes, they'll rent for a very high number. So I'll give you an example. That $40,000 home probably rents for seven to $800 a month. As a, as a ratio, as a cap rate, as a cash on cash return, that's very high. It's very attractive. It's very appealing to an investor, let's say out of California, that's, that can, can't even touch those numbers here. Right. But, but like I said, there are issues, you know, that $40,000 property was probably a $40,000 property 10 years ago, and it probably will still be a $40,000 property 10 years from now. Those areas also don't appreciate much or well, uh, unless there's the spillover effect from the major metropolitan area that's pushing the population into those areas and creating more demand than you normally have and is increasing the price of those properties just purely out of supply and demand dynamics. There are other issues and other things going on there, but those are the core things. It's just the numbers are sexy, but the area may not be. The neighborhood may not be. They may have higher crime, definitely poor school districts a lot of the time. So I'm hoping I'm answering your question here, but um, that's the issue that investors make when they're coming out of California or other expensive markets and they see these $50,000 properties and the cash flow looks really good. But the reality is if you pencil the numbers out, the total return on investment over time is not the same as investing in a B plus or A minus type neighborhood, which is what we'd like to focus on. You know, that's, that's where investors should start. If you want to start small or dip your toe in the water, look, go with a quality neighborhood and a quality property with quality tenants. Don't go cheap and go with the $40,000 properties. Right. Well, that um, leads us into a nice transition about talking about what you do now and what your company Norada does. So listeners, the whole goal of most of us real estate investors is to get to a position where we have passive investments and passive income. Um, There's only so many hours a day that you can work and hopefully you've got money working for you more than your time. I mean, eventually most of us want to retire, but even beyond that, you want to have a combination if you're still working of passive and active income. And what Marco's company does is an opportunity for you to earn that. And I have been intimidated personally by trying to do research in other markets and traveling there uh, because I actually did that um, before Marco. Uh, We did a (laughs) condo conversion project in Austin, Texas that um, went terribly wrong. I um, left a lot of money, helped the Austin economy a lot, but came back here and said, okay, we're just going to flip houses one at a time for now. That was a while ago. But it's, it can be intimidating and scary going out of state. So I'm excited to have you on here and talk about how you can make it not so scary for someone to purchase an investment, make investments in an area um, that's not drivable to them. You know, like the areas that you have um, investments available in, I mean, you said you have 22 markets. I assume they're not within an easy drive here of where we live in Orange County, California. 
and that, that's a whole different ball game. So why don't you launch into like um, what you guys do and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I'll tell you what we do and then I want to address the whole concern about being able to drive to your property because it's completely a state of mind. Okay. So as, as a company, we are essentially a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flowing rental properties. These are properties in good markets, good neighborhoods, they're tenant occupied, they're professionally managed with full service management, they're cash flow positive from day one, they are either new properties or like new properties, meaning they've been completely renovated. They're, they're entirely refurbished, new, new mechanicals, new everything. So there's no deferred maintenance. And so that's our definition of what a turnkey real estate investment should be. Wrapped around all that is the team, the team that you need from financing to property management, the title companies, the home inspectors, et cetera, et cetera. Everything I just described is what I would refer to as a turnkey real estate investing experience. And that's what I built my model on because that's what I started doing back in 2004. And through my own experience and efforts, I just turned it into a business model. So I'm not just doing it for myself, but now me and my team are doing the exact same thing for other people. Now, having said all that, the whole thing about investing outside of your local market or what I call the backyard is really a state of mind. A lot of the so-called gurus out there, they say, well, invest within a one-hour drive or maybe a two-hour drive of where you live. That assumes a couple of things. One, that you live in a market where the numbers make sense. Two, that you are a proficient property manager or rehabber, and you are going to be managing your own properties, and you know the tenant-landlord laws, and you know how to deal with tenants, you know how to collect rents, and do all those things that professional managers do. So... For many of us, that's not the case. We, we're busy, we have, we have a career, we have kids, we have, you know, um, we have our obligations, you wanna spend time with your family and pursue your career, and you don't necessarily have the knowledge and or experience to do all this stuff yourself. So the only way to do it is to create the team and invest where the numbers make sense. So that's exactly what I was doing. But it's, a, it's just a state of mind to invest anywhere other than in your local market. I use the Coca-Cola analogy. Let's just say you did a ton of research on all the stocks in the stock market and you decide that Coca-Cola is the best stock to buy. And you know that they have headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, but you happen to live in Dana Point, California. So what do you do? If that's a great deal, do you not invest in Coca-Cola as a stock? And I'm not advocating investing in the stock market. Um, but would you hold yourself back because you don't live in Atlanta? You can't drive to their office and talk to someone there or maybe, you know, participate or, or even have any uh, effect, influence or control in the decisions of the company? No, you wouldn't do that. But the beautiful thing about real estate is you can own and you can own and control everything, have the right team, be the CEO of your real estate investing company, if you will, mm -hmm. and invest where the numbers make sense, where the fundamentals and economics play in and you can get the rates of return that you that you should, you know, earn from your, your investment capital that you can't do in many markets like where, where we live here in California. So when you get over that mental hurdle, you open up a country that has over 400 metropolitan statistical areas and all real estate is local. I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm sure your listeners have heard that before. So if all real estate markets are local and they all move independently of each other, why not pick the best markets to invest in where you can get that appreciation potential, you can get the strong cash flow, you can have the right team, you can get into housing that's affordable, and a market where supply and demand are in balance as, as opposed to markets where you know, they're out of whack. So that's a very compressed, long answer to your short question, but if you stop and think about it objectively, 
and you don't let your emotions get tied into that decision making, you will you will be very successful. Well, I love it. That was really well said. And it's definitely a mindset shift. Most people that get into real estate investing think I have to go see the house, manage the house and deal with it. But you're presenting another opportunity, like let the professionals that know what they're doing. And sometimes people also say, well, I don't want to have to pay for a management company. I want to manage it myself. Sometimes you pay more trying to manage it yourself than if you had a professional that knew what they were doing and how to deal with uh, non-payment of rents, eviction, repairs, all that kind of stuff. Even just today I was dealing with, I do self-manage my rentals and it's been fine. It's not a complaint, but it's something that most people like never even think of as an issue. I've got a big old beehive with a bunch of honeycomb <laughs> hanging from it in a house that I um, own in Apple Valley. And like, okay, so I'm calling around, you know, trying to do that. I have time because this is my full-time pursuit, real estate. But if I had a day job and I'm like trying to call during business hours, like what would my boss think when I'm like trying to call bee removal companies? <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of things. You don't know what you're going to encounter as a landlord and investor. So I definitely advocate for people who have not been at it for a while and don't want to learn on the job and make all those mistakes to use a professional. So why don't you tell us about like um, what a deal purchase to your company would look like and a little bit about what the numbers would look like and how that works. Yeah. So thank you. <clears throat> Just at a high level, um, most of the product that we sell that are single family homes are going to be in the range of 80 to 150,000. That's a typical three bedroom, two bath home in like a BB plus area. So kind of middle America, bread and butter, uh, housing, good school districts, low crime, that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of the sweet spot or the middle of the bell curve, as I like to say. Um, But that 1% rule plays in like that $100,000 three bedroom home would rent for about thousand a month. As you get up in price, that number tapers off so that a $130,000, $140,000 three bedroom, two bath home probably will rent for about 1,300-ish. But what it does do is it gives you a good cap rate, the capitalization rate, it gives you a good cash on cash return because most people, and I say 99% of people, 99% of our investor clients are gonna finance it. They'll put 20 or 25% down, they'll borrow the the rest from a lender, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Um, And when you deduct your vacancy allowance and you deduct uh, for maintenance and repairs, your true net number, that, that bottom line, net, net, net cash flow is pretty attractive because you're going to have often like a 10 to 12% cash on cash return. And that doesn't factor in the depreciation of benefits. That doesn't factor in the amortization of the loan. It doesn't factor in the appreciation over, the top, over time, over years. So when you do look at the whole picture of what the rates of return on, on real estate is, residential real estate, you often will find yourself in the 30% and sometimes 40% range. But the short answer is properties are from 80 to 150,000. They rent for about 1% per month of that purchase price. And they're often in BB plus A minus type neighborhoods. Okay. And what are um, some of your favorite markets um, looking forward to this year? Like where would you recommend people look? We classify our markets into two general categories, cash flow markets um, and uh, growth markets, growth meaning that they have stronger appreciation potential, but they still offer the cash flow. It's just not as as good as the you know your flat linear markets. Mm-hmm. And so, if you are an investor looking for uh, just pure cash flow with you know moderate 
uh, appreciation over time that keeps up with inflation, markets like Memphis, Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, Oklahoma City, those are our linear markets, the boring markets, the cash flow markets. Right. If you're looking for stronger appreciation potential, uh, Kansas City has been one of those markets. Dallas has been one of those markets. Jacksonville, Florida is one of those markets. Tampa is one of those markets. Uh, what are the markets are we in like that? Indianapolis has become one of those types of markets. We have something for everybody. It just depends on what your investment goals are because it really all begins with you. Uh, we're completely market agnostic. We're not married to a market or, or a provider or a neighborhood or a management company. It really is, what are your goals? Where do you want to get to? Break that into a roadmap. Let's, let's identify your investment criteria. And that investment criteria will help you make the decisions as to where and what you're buying, what you're investing in. Very interesting. So you have a lot of flexibility. I know some turnkey providers only have, you know, two or three cities that they sell properties in, but it sounds like you provide a wide array and even for different goals, people who are more cash flow oriented and people who are the growth or appreciation oriented. So that's great. Well, um, we're getting near the end, so we need to start wrapping up, but I wanted to tell our listeners about um, the great offerings that you're um, providing for our show today. So listeners, go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 117 to get our free download this week, which is the 10 rules of successful real estate investing. And Marco's put this together. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what this is, Marco? Yeah, so it's it's an infographic. It just summarizes <clears throat> essentially what I've put together as as the 10 rules of successful real estate investing. If, if you if you just follow these rules, you will be you will avoid making mistakes and you will point yourself like a compass in the direction that will lead you to uh, successes as you go. And so I, I took my 10 rules and I kind of consolidated into a, a visual representation. That's why it's an infographic. And so, yeah, more than happy to share that. So we'll have that at hardhatholly.com forward slash 117. You can also get it by texting to the number 38470. That's 38470. Text hard hat, all one word, no spaces. And just text hard hat to 38470 and we'll send that right back to you. And Marco has another great, much more detailed guide that I'm going to let him tell you about, the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing. And you can get that by going where, Marco? Well, thank you, Polly. Um, so we have uh, two websites where you can download that for free. Uh, it is a great primer on everything that we talked about and so much more. So it goes into a lot more depth. And it's kind of like reading a long, full-fledged book, but just com consolidating into 40-some pages. Uh, so uh, the first home of that freebie is PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. It's essentially, you know, named one and the same as the report. So uh, that ultimate guide is at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. The sister website where we actually, you know, uh, post all our properties for sale is on NoradaRealEstate.com. N-O-R-A-D-A, NoradaRealEstate.com. So either website, they, they link to each other too. So one goes to the other. Awesome. And really quick, I don't think we addressed this, but for people to use your services, there's not any extra fee to them on top of what they see for the purchase price of properties, right? It's the sellers that are um, paying your fees, right? Yeah, there's no fee at all. I mean, our services are free, you know, before, during, and after the transaction. We hold your hand. It's extremely consultative. We want to find out, you know, where you are, where you want to get to and help you achieve that 
And if, you know, if we can't help you, if we're not a fit, I mean, you'll learn that early on. Um, but it's a value-added service and virtually everything you need as a real estate investor is available you know, under one roof through our network. So we've done essentially most of the due diligence that you would need to do as a real estate investor. And we basically present it to you and help you walk you through it all. You still need to do some work. You know, you're not going to be disconnected from the process, but we basically have all the resources that you would need in order to be successful on that journey. That's fantastic. Well, I love that someone with little to no experience in the real estate investing world can come to you and your company and feel well taken care of in that way. And um, I mean, I know there's not a lot, there are some not great companies out there and turnkey providers that have sold people um, not great turnkey properties, but I really respect what you and your company are doing. It sounds like, I mean, you've got a great history and the people you're connected to are great. So I have a lot of faith and trust in you based on all that. So listeners, whether you are um, wanting to get flipping or you are flipping, that's great. This is a whole separate bucket that I believe everybody should have. Everybody should have some long-term hold real estate passive investment opportunities and this is a great option for you so definitely check that out so um, just in wrapping up marco any final words of advice to people who have not gone down this path and they they need to start yeah and i i guess the i could say a lot of things but i think the final comment i'm going to make is this there's nothing wrong with flipping there's nothing wrong with buy and hold you can do both they're not mutually exclusive uh, I've done a lot of flipping and that's kind of cool because you can create chunks of cash if that's something you have the time to do and you, you, you want to do that. Great. Then the question becomes, what do you do with those chunks of cash? You should continue to reinvest it. You could maybe do more flips, but ultimately you need to put some of that aside and invest for the long term. You need to start building some passive income as a passive real estate investor and create wealth in doing that as time goes on. So uh, so, you, you know, there may be a transition there from, you know, flipping to buy and hold and you can do both at the same time, but really don't, don't just do one and not the other. Uh, ultimately you want a portfolio of real estate because you want that passive income. So. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> well, with that, thank you so much for your time, Marco. I appreciate it. Listeners go check out his websites and we'll have all those details in the show notes for you at hardhatholly.com forward slash one one seven. And definitely make it a goal, listeners, to have long-term holds and passive investment real estate holdings in your portfolio. Thanks for listening and go make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.